0: Well, Steve was saying his knees might be knocking a little bit. Mine are probably pounding together. So, if you hear pounding, it's not somebody knocking on the door back there, it's just me. (laughs) So, this um, we had the hymn of preparation, Onward Christian Soldiers. It's just a great song, and I feel like that describes what we are. We're soldiers or disciples. For God. And uh, today I'm going to talk a little bit about the quiet Christian, trying to become a loud Christian. It's really a lot about my walk from the church pew, which is usually back there, getting up to the front of the church where I stand today. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer. My walk from the church pew to the front of the church has been kind of a slow process. It's taken me a long time. I've always admired people that can stand in front of a crowd and just talk and just let it flow like it's a conversation with a single person. I don't like being in front of a crowd. I get nervous, and I stumble, and it just isn't my comfort zone. But about two years ago, God placed his gentle but strong hand in the middle of my back and he started nudging me forward. I kept telling him, I'm not equipped for this. I'm a listener. I'm not a talker. And then I read the scripture, 1 Peter 5-7. It said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I thought, well, maybe I can do this." I started talking to a friend of mine that became a pastor later in life, and she told me that it was okay. She was even quieter than me, much shyer. And I explained to her my concerns. I said, I can't quote scripture out of nowhere like other people can. So of course what she do, she quotes scripture. She just grabbed it out of the air, and it was Matthew 9, 37-38. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I began listening to Pastor Peggy a little closer, and I realized she was right. We do need more workers. We need to have more people out there speaking the word of God, trying to get our young people into the churches and realize that God's the way. So the first thing I did was I led a small group. It wasn't nearly as intimidating as I would feared. It was comfortable in a small group. We got to know people more intimately and it put my fears to rest about doing that kind of stuff. So then I signed up for a lay servant weekend. And I figured out that I was just like the other people at that weekend retreat. They were nervous. They didn't feel equipped. But as we went through the weekend, we figured out that we didn't have to know all the answers. We could look for the answers and go back to the people that had questions or send them on to the pastor if they had really hard questions. As disciples, we're helpers to spread the word of God. We're not there to have all the answers all the time. In Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I believe that when you're sharing the word of God, you're seeking more from God and you're learning more. I've always grown up in a church. It's always been a very small country church where specific people have specific jobs. And quite frankly, I've always been one of the younger people in the church, so I was never really given a job. And that was okay with me. I was good with just sitting there listening, absorbing the content. This is the largest church I've ever attended. When my family moved from the small burg of Bennington, Michigan, near Owasso, to Charlevoix in 1965, we didn't go into the town of Charlevoix for church. They were bigger churches. We went to the village of Norwood near Lake Michigan. It was about three miles from our farm, and I rode my bike there sometimes. And. There were, the, the pews were packed sometimes. It was, a lot. it was probably half of this church, the size of the pews. It was packed. Other times, there was maybe a dozen people in attendance for years. The pastor had three churches that he went from every Sunday. So he was a busy guy. But uh, there were years when they thought that church was going to have to close but as I said, it was 1965 when we moved there. And in 1981, Randy and I were married there, and it's still open today. So somehow they've made it. Small churches are wonderful. They're comfortable, they're safe, they're intimate. Everybody knows everybody. You don't get that in the big churches. You can go into a big church, and nobody knows you're there. You can go there for weeks, and you might meet one person. It's just not as quaint and comfortable as it is in our church. But then we start worrying about not growing. Some of us are really happy with the family-style church. but. Sometimes we need to change that up a little bit and work to get more people in. In John 17, 20 and 21, Jesus prays for future believers. He says, I am not praying only for these disciples, but also for who believe in me through their message. I pray that they all will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me." Now, in the mid-70s, religious cults came to light. They were scary to most of us country people. My sister and I were members of the Campus Life Youth for Christ group in junior high and high school. It was multi-denominational. Everybody went to their own churches during the week, but we met for prayer meetings and group things. We went roller skating and all that, and it was a fun group to be in. My dad was comfortable with that because he knew the families, he knew the people. They were local. And I went on mission trips, went to retreats. I even became a born-again Christian at one of the retreats. My dad never knew that. My dad was an example of a perfect, quiet Christian. What he believed was nobody's business. Then when my sister moved to Lansing to become a student at Michigan State University, she got involved in another Christian organization that was also multi-denominational. It's called the Work of Christ Community. Now, remember, in 1974, computers were not in every home, you couldn't just Google what you wanted to know. And he was a farmer, dairy farmer, so he couldn't just go down and check these people out. They were college-age students all the way through adults with jobs and children. He was very skeptical of these people. He was afraid his daughter was getting involved in a cult that he was hearing about on TV. and he was just sure she was going to drink some poison and die off with a group of other people like what was going on across the country. So he was really scared. My sister's still a member of this organization. They're wonderful people, very giving, very happy people. They are amazing but because they were just a little bit different than what he was used to, he was worried. He didn't want his daughter getting mixed up in one of these crazy cults. She was suddenly being encouraged to be open about her faith and express her feelings. In our house, we lived a very private life. We didn't express our feelings. We didn't talk about anything. We lived on a farm, but our animals didn't die. They went away. I seriously believe that the steer I, rose at, I raised every summer, halter trained, played with like a pet, was sold at the end of the year so I could buy school clothes, but he was sold to go and live with another family and be played with. and then Continued to be halter-trained and live on a very happy life like he did at our farm. I didn't realize that wasn't the case until I was an adult. Um, finances weren't discussed. Uh, and even people dying wasn't something that I was ever prepared for. He was very protective of his daughters. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but Maybe not perfect. Uh, my sister began being, more, becoming more open about her faith, and he was worried. He just—it just made him uncomfortable. So I was sent in to do recon for him. Being three and a half years younger, uh, kind of was his sacrificial lamb, I think. But all I found out was that they were very welcoming, friendly people, and yes, pretty godly. They didn't hide their feelings. They didn't hide their prayers. They were just open. Some of them were a little overwhelming to me, but I don't really think that was a bad thing. They just had a different style. In Matthew 5.16, It says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. They were more than willing to open their homes and anything that they had. And Kendra showed up more than once in a stranger's car. Without a worry in their minds, they were able to share anything they had. They were always doing good deeds for someone. Now, fast forward several years after my sister had graduated from college and had gotten married and started her family. When my dad had his fatal farm accident, these very same people that my dad was concerned about were the people that were transporting my sister up north and picking me up from the airport because I was in Chicago with a youth group from the church. They were feeding us, taking care of us, watching our children while we were making funeral plans. They had no idea that my dad was worried about them being toxic. They're just normal people professing their faith openly and willing to help at a moment's notice. They also were prayer warriors for me in the last few months. Some of them I've gotten to know really well. Other ones I have no idea what their names even are. But when my sister went to her prayer meeting in tears a few months ago, they rallied around her and me, and they got some major prayer requests sent to God. And I know it helped. I had the pleasure of joining my sister at their annual spring conference a few weeks ago and was able to stand in front of about 300 women and thank them for all their prayers. I'm so thankful that there are people out there that are still professing their faith like Peter and Andrew did when Jesus came upon them at the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew 4:18 through 20 we read about Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. These two men, along with brothers James and John, had enough faith in Jesus to leave their fishing business and follow Jesus and begin to fish for people to become Christians to follow Jesus. So why is it so hard for us to be confident, loud Christians for Jesus in today's society? I really think it comes down to peer pressure. I know I had to take small steps because I'm not nearly as outgoing as I used to be as a child. So when it comes to becoming a loud Christian, it really takes me out of my comfort zone. I had to start slow, talking one-on-one to people I felt comfortable with and that I was pretty sure felt the same way about Christianity as I did. Then, I led a small group, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. The big challenge was I talked to strangers, and I told them that I would pray for them. The first one was a woman that I met on the plane when I was going to New Mexico to see my son and daughter-in-law and new grandchild. As we talked, I learned that she was going to see her daughter, who was only in eighth grade. She'd had to send her daughter away to boarding school for alternative education. The daughter had been bullied in public school system and could not continue to attend her school. As we talked, I could tell it was tearing her up. She'd missed her. She didn't want to send her away, but she knew she had to do it. And we talked for a while and discussed what had happened. And they made the decision to do that, to send her away. And she knew that it was the right decision to make. So when we got up to leave, I smiled at her. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you and your daughter. And I could tell she appreciated that. We almost hugged. We we shook hands, and it was tight. And I could tell that it was a good thing that I said that. And it made me feel good. Now, we had a layover in the airport for probably 45 minutes. And I was surrounded by a bunch of bubbly, loud, college-age girls. And I thought, oh, Lord, don't let them be on my plane. (laughs) I was getting tired. And I thought, oh, I just don't want that commotion, you know? But they were cute. And they had their teddy bears and their backpacks and their MP3 players and... You know, but gosh, I just wanted a quiet flight. (laughs) And of course, when the plane was announced that it was ready, they all jumped up and gathered their things and lined up, and there I was. But when they got on the plane, they were all toward the back of the plane, and it was okay. And I was toward the front, and I was seated next to a gentleman, and he was kind of in casual business attire. He was looking a little stressed. And soon I discovered he was responsible for all the girls. And I thought, yeah, you must be stressed. (laughs) So we began to chat, and he was stressed because they had three meets in two days, and he'd left his boys' swim team with his assistant coach that didn't speak English. So I was like, oh, wow, that's really crazy. But um, as we talked, he, you know, of course, the football teams always get all the money, right? You know, so he had to really scramble to get money for the girls to fly because they usually took a bus. And uh, he was excited that they got to fly, and the girls were excited that they got to fly. And he, you know, talked about the trials and tribulations of the two swim teams and all that. Then we settled in, and he did his schedule, and I read, And when we got up, I thought, oh, this is going to be hard. This is a man, you know. And uh, we got up, and I said, you know, I'm going to be praying for your swim teams this, this weekend, and I hope everything goes smoothly. And he grabbed my hand, and he shook it, and he said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I was like, wow, this is coming from a guy. So I was like, two for two, and they're strangers. So that made me feel good. I was I was pleased. But the point is I'm trying to make is that everybody's not allowed Christian. Some people just aren't comfortable just coming out with that. Some people are very comfortable spreading God's word. Some people are natural teachers. Some people are natural listeners. They're just better at just sitting back and Listening and praying quietly, and that's good. That's wonderful. But we can all pray for each other in some way. It's it's all good. Second Samuel twenty two thirty two says, "As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is the shield for all who take refuge in him." And I really believe that. We all can be wrapped in God's arms. Now I want to take a minute to talk a little bit about prayer. For some of it, it flows like a conversation with a good friend. Others struggle. They feel it needs to be more formal. I used to think it had to be kind of scripted. But the problem with that is I don't think you really feel the words. You're more worried about what you're saying than what you're praying. As I've studied more, I've come to realize that God knows every step, fall, success, sin, illness. And the moment that we're going to die, that's not going to change. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy will be done. I've really taken heart to that in the past few years. I used to pray the Lord's Prayer a lot. And I just didn't zone in on that phrase because I'd pray and I'd pray and I didn't get the answer that I thought that I wanted. And then I started realizing, Thy will be done. He's got a plan. Sometimes His plan isn't what we want. His plan is His plan and we're not going to change that. We don't always get our way. And sometimes that makes us upset. But we have to accept his way. He knows best. Prayer's gotten me some gotten me through some really good times, but he's also gotten me through some really bad times. I can't imagine not having God to talk to when times get really scary. He's always there for us. So why do you think we don't pray openly? Are we embarrassed to be Christians? So many of us have been told that it's not the right time or the place. We don't want to offend anybody. Public prayer has been banned or discouraged in so many places. I think it's really sad that something calms and reassures us, has been considered offensive when it involves no one around them. We've been taught to be quiet and don't make waves. As children, most of us are bubbly, bouncy, bounds of chatty energy. I know I was. At one point in my life, I realized that children were being kidnapped. And I was talking my dad's leg off, as I usually was. And he assured me that no one would take me. Because if they did, within five minutes, I would have talked them out of it, and they'd have brought me back. (laughs) But God needs some of us to be his disciples. We need to be loud Christians. Or someday, we're going to be left with no one to tell his story. He needs us to be fishers of men. We need to follow his plan. Joyce Myers says, I believe God puts a seed of greatness in everyone. And there are many capabilities inside of you that you can, can't can even begin to imagine. Even when we're in the middle of a harmful, hurtful situation, God has a plan. So I want to close with Ephesians 3.21. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess, or request in your wildest dreams. He does it, not by pushing us around, but by working within us, the Spirit deeply and gently within us. I believe that He has gently nudged me forward, and I hope that He keeps trying to do that. I hope that He keeps working in me for the rest of my life because it makes us a better person if we continue to work to get to know him better and to try to share our word with other people because he is good and he is powerful and he's always there for us. Thank you.